St. Mark chapter 7. As we study the Word of God, whether it's in a message, a sermon, or whether it's a teaching, or whether it's reading at home or wherever it is, there's three things we want to, to grasp and look at. It's important. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? Observation, interpretation, and application. It's one thing to study the Bible. It's something else to find out what it says. One of the things I found out that's very important is this, is to read before the text and after the text because a lot of times the real message might be before the text. For instance, as we study chapter 7, understand that the Bible is not written or was not written rather in chapters. And so it's important to understand the text. It's important to understand under what circumstances it was written. Of course, the main important thing is to understand it was written by men and women that were men that were inspired by certainly the Holy Spirit. And it is God's infallible word. And for this year, we've been studying the book of Mark. We'd like to look as we begin today at chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. I want to read several verses, so stay with us, if you will. We'll have it on the screen. Hope you bring your Bibles and follow along with us. We typically read from the New King James Version. So let's read, beginning with verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And this is Jesus. And he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain, in vain, they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of who? Men. Not the commandments of God, but the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. Let me explain that. The legalistic, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, if they had money, now the Bible says, Moses' law said, you must support your mom and dad. You must provide for them. But the religious leader says, I want to keep this money. I have, let's say, $100,000. I don't want mom and dad, I don't have to to worry about keeping mom and dad up. So I'm going to say Corbin, which meant this belongs to God. This $100,000, this money belongs to God. And I've dedicated it to God. And you say that frees you up from taking care of mom and dad. Because we've dedicated it to the Lord. But they used it. 
they use it themselves. That is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. When he called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not. He's talking about food here. It does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart, from within, out of the what? Heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile of man. If you do not have a copy of the outline, I want you to get one because it is very, very interesting. Please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure that you get a copy of the outline of the sermon. I know it's rainy. It's been raining for days. It's dreary. We all could go to sleep probably sitting here, and I hope you won't do that. Stay awake. If your neighbor next to you begins to nod or snore or whatever, sort of nudge him in the ribs a little bit. Of course, I'm always like the preacher that said, enough fire in the pulpit to keep the ice from the pew. So it's not your fault if you go to sleep, I don't think. I think it's the preacher's. Notice the introduction, if you will. Jesus often ran afoul of the religious leaders over the matter of keeping what? Traditions. Plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, and eating with unwashed hands. Tradition is not necessarily a bad thing, but when it has more authority than the Word of God, then it is wrong. If you look at Colossians, Two and eight, it speaks of those conditions because it warns us against man-made traditions, but we should heed the traditions given by God and hand it down to his people. And then we give scripture, apostolic teaching, God's word is to be passed on to the succeeding generations without addition or alternation. Tradition is not always bad. Every one of us this morning should have a tradition of reading our Bibles, of praying, of coming to church. Amen? Amen? Every Sunday. Amen? Amen? I trapped you into that one. I led you into that one. There are traditions, certainly, that are good, Paul said to the church at Corinth. Now, I praise God, you brethren, that you remember me all in all things and keep, keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And then he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you are taught, whether by word or our epistle. Or, yes, epistle. So he's saying here that certain traditions are good. But what he is saying concerning the religious leaders of his day, they had traditions that were certainly contrary to the writings of Moses. And he was speaking concerning those. Follow me with Roman numeral number one. Jesus, first of all, exposed their tradition. We have traditions. Catholicism has a lot of traditions that I don't believe are biblical. 
There are those that believe when it comes to baptism that you are to be sprinkled. We believe in immersion. Sprinkling, perhaps, maybe, is a man-made tradition. You say, Pastor, if someone's sprinkled, are they going to go to hell? Not necessarily. But I believe that we should emerge when it comes to water baptism. So we could go on and on and on about certain traditions that people have. Notice the characteristics of these traditions. First of all, it's selective. Traditions can make void the very commands of God and make our worship, listen to this, vain before God. We just read that. It's selective. In other words, when I was in India, in the river, they met at a certain time by the thousands and went down to the river and washed themselves because they had a tradition of this particular river washing away their sins. And there are hundreds and thousands of traditions that people have. I'm glad probably, maybe, I don't know, Oh, yes, I do. That we have traditions here in the church I don't think sometimes are necessarily God biblical traditions. So we have to be careful about our traditions. It fosters a spirit of elitism. I saw Bobby this week at Cracker Barrel. Bobby and I worked together years ago and... uh, He went to the Baptist church, and I went to the Pentecostal church. And I would argue with Bobby a lot. We worked together in the store. And I told him, he believed that everybody sins, and I didn't. I told him I didn't sin. You know, it's amazing the things that you teach or preach when you're younger, that you look back and say, oh, my God. Because of tradition. Because of tradition. And he and I are still good friends today. Tradition creates elitism. I am I thought I was I thought being Pentecostal, we always heard the saying, We are trash. I know that the, everybody, the, the nominal church thought the Pentecostals and the Holy Rollers and the holiness people were trash. And we had this saying, oh, yeah, but trash floats on top of the water. That made me feel elite. It made me feel good because I thought I was better than the Baptist, the Presbyterian, the Methodist, and Catholic, and I thought I was better because I didn't sin. You see how tradition raises you to that elitism that you are better than someone else because you don't do certain things. Not only is it selective, it fosters a spirit of elitism. And thirdly, it was placed above Scripture. Now, it's impressive. Tradition is very impressive. Oh, my goodness, the Pharisees. Wow. They washed their hands. Now, the washing of the hands had nothing to do with hygiene. It had all to do with scrubbing. And if they went to the marketplace or they touched something they thought was dirty, then they would go and before they ate, they scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. And that's what they were talking about. The the disciples did not ceremonially wash their hands. When traditions of men are taught on the same level as the commands of God, it leads to vain worship. Look at Matthew 15 and 9. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so, if we're not careful... I know, I know, I have good friends, good friends, that if they came in this church this morning, they would not like one song that we sung. 
You know why? That's not their tradition. They believe you should sing Southern gospel or hymns, and that's it. That's pretty narrow. And, and, and we, we have these traditions that we, we really, if we're not careful. Now, does, you say, are you saying if they sing Southern gospel or hymns that that's not true worship? Well, I'm not saying that. Because, and listen, all of us have preferences, okay? There's nothing wrong with preferences. But we better find out if this is biblical or my preference. Such ritualism is often done repeatedly with little thought as to its origin and purpose. Uh Uh-oh. What is the origin of our tradition? Is it biblical? Is it backed up scripturally? Not only did Jesus expose their traditions, but he exposed their hypocrisy. He pointed out the great danger of hypocrisy, of being a hypocrite. Now, there's no hypocrite in this church. A hypocrite was an actor. You remember those, or you've seen those actors that have the the face on on this little stick? We have them here. Not literally, but we have them. Because they get up to act and they have these little sticks and they have these faces with a smiley on it. And we come in church with this stick with this smiley. Or we act like we're humble and so we use the other one and we put this one in our face. We're real humble. That's an actor, a hypocrite. A hypocrite is... Is trying is showing something that we're not really. I've always thought, especially in the last few years of ministry, if God stripped us down today, oh my God! I mean, really, really showed what who we are, because some of us don't even know who we are. Don't you get mad at me? It's true. We think we're so holy. Because we don't dip and we don't chew and we don't date nobody that do. That's what we used to say. That was our saying because. (laughs) Tradition. He exposed our hypocrisy. They obeyed the traditions with words and deeds, but fail to serve God from the heart. Listen to what he says. And he quotes Isaiah when he says this. Therefore, the Lord said, in as much as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Is that a true verse today? Sure it is. Notice the steps. If you looked at Mark 8, 7 and 8, Mark 7 and 9, and Mark 7 and 13, it says, first of all, they laid aside God's word. So what happens, they lay this, I want to believe this, I've been taught this, mom and dad taught me this, grandma taught me this, and this is what I believe, and I don't care what the Bible says, this is what I believe. So they lay aside God's word. The second step downward is they reject God's word. How many people reject the word of God today? And number three, they made the word of God of no effect. What good is it me arguing with Bobby McCorkle and saying, listen, I am holy. I I didn't say that. I said, I don't sin. And I had scripture for it. He that is born of God cannot sin. First John. Bless God, I'll quote you the word on it. What good is all of this? What good is it me judging my fellow man? And there's, there are gray areas, but I know, listen, I, there's certain things that certain the Bible is clear on. When he's talking about taking food in, it's not talking about alcohol and drugs 
and things that destroy the body, that is a sin. And that's not a tradition. That's God's word. But I'll tell you, what we believe today better be supported by the word of God and not something that originated with mom and dad. And I'm not knocking mom and dad. I have one of the greatest mothers that ever walked the face of this earth. But I'm just telling you, it better be what the word says. A polluted heart plots evil. Look at verse 23. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. What will make, will cause a man to take a gun and shoot nine people? And we're trying to figure it out. All these pundits sitting around trying to figure it out. It's not hard to figure out when you know the word of God and you know that there's demonic in evil activity. That stuff don't come from wherever. It comes from right here. It's birth in here. And we're living in a day when people don't know who they are. Bruce Jenner didn't know who he was, and so he's a man. Now he's Caitlin, the woman. You say he's happy now. Oh, no, he's not. He's one of the most miserable-looking persons I have ever seen. And he's ugly. This is, and we're laughing, and, and, and that's okay. But this is sad. A woman in North Carolina, 30 years old, felt like, hey, I should be blind. Bruce Jenner thought should, I should be a woman. And we got people, oh, I'm not satisfied with this, or I'm not satisfied with that. I want to change this. I want to change that. And this woman in North Carolina, she says, I know I should be blind. She had beautiful blue eyes. 2020 vision. But she thought to herself, I should be blind. I don't know why. I just know I should be blind. And so she started putting shades on, glasses on. And she got her a cane and started acting like she was blind. But that didn't satisfy her. She, She still was not satisfied. You see, you can follow the devil and you can listen to the devil and he can string you out and you can go all the way and you're still not satisfied. You can follow that imp, that evil. That's what, that's what happens when we, when we become hypocrites. And so this woman got a psychiatrist to take uh, Drano. Or it, was, it was liquid Drano. She laid on a couch and she, he dropped it in her eyes. And now she is so happy. Oh, she had learned Braille before this ever happened. And now she's so happy because she's blind. You think she's happy? You think the world makes you happy? You think disobedience makes you happy? You think the devil will make you happy? It won't make you happy. Because there's the downward spiral of sin. And that's the reason men that is filled with lust goes from playboy to hustler to whatever. And then they're not satisfied. Oh, God made me to love a man. I know I'm a man, but God, God, God made me to love a man. Don't you let the devil lie and don't let him propagate that lie in the world today. That you're not made a homosexual. You're not born a homosexual. You may have tendencies. I'm not saying that. And I'm not belittling any of this, folks. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not, I don't mean to put Bruce Jenner down. I don't believe in putting any transvestite down. I don't believe in elevating them either. Like Barack Obama did when the Pope came. You know who he had meeting the people? Now, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what happened. He had a transvestite, a homosexual, and a devout person that believed in abortion to meet the Pope. That's in your face. 
Now, you can believe what you want to, but don't end my face. How about <laughs> I'm already in trouble. We're, folks, we, we, we've come a long ways from where God intended us to be. Jesus exposed tradition. He exposed hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Then he exposed their heart. Notice the progress of sin within man. And this is also in chapter uh, in chapter uh, 7. It begins in the human nature within our heart. That's where the evil begins is in the heart. It develops in the human mind the evil thought. And then we begin to entertain these things in our thought pattern. That's the reason that Jesus said, let this mind be in you, which was in Jesus Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Let your mind be transformed. Because if we're not careful, that heart starts to mind thinking. And then notice number three, it is expressed in human acts. And then he names them all the way down. If you look in that list that I read. Fornication, adultery. And all the other things that he mentions. Notice the progress. A polluted heart pollutes, plots evil. And that's what, you know, you wonder why all this stuff is going on. Because people's minds and their hearts are polluted. You can put them in jail. You can put them in stocks. You can put, you can do whatever you want to with them. But unless the heart changes, man don't change. Then notice what we say here. Man makes three fatal mistakes when dealing with the problems of law and evil. Man judges evil to the external, to be external only. He judges to be external only. You know what the cry is with the shooting in, in Oregon? You know what the cry is? Get the gun out of his hand. Now, I'm not here to debate the laws of gun, okay? You can believe like you want to, but you can take every gun out of every man's house hand, and I'm going to tell you it's not going to stop him or her from being a murderer. And get a ball bat, a knife, or something else to kill with. You've got to change the heart. But see, the world looks at everything external. And nobody wants to deal with man on the inside. And that's where man is changed. Man fails to see or confess that evil arises from the heart. Evil arises from the heart. I was born and raised, Jesus and Judy and myself, five miles, seven miles out of Clinton, Highway 403. It was called, and Clinton was our place where we went, did our shopping and whatever most of the time. It was called the Facing Highway. We went, granddaddy and grandmother on my mother's side and, and my mom we went to Mount Vernon Missionary Baptist Church. And I loved it. I loved it. But on this highway, two miles out of Clinton, there was a man by the name of Reuben Jones that put up a tent. And my mother went to this tent. Now, again, for you that know me, I don't knock Baptist, Methodist. I'm not here that did knock any doctrine denomination. I've got friends and I believe the word of God is preached in many of these denominations and lived. But we were not saved. Mama was not saved. But she went to this tent, knelt down and the Lord wonderfully saved her. We'd never been exposed to Pentecost or at that time it was called holiness. And so mom got saved and one of the things that mama did, she cursed like a sailor. And she liked, she loved going to the movies. So when she got saved, she said, Lord, if you really save me, take going to the movies and cursing. We called it cursing back then. You call it profanity now. But cursing away from me. She never cursed another time, and she never would go to another movie. Well, there went Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and Trigger for me. I mean, you know, we didn't get any more. We didn't go see Gene Autry. We didn't get, get, go see Tom Mix. Of course, Tom Mix was a little bit before my time. 
we, we, we didn't go to the movie. And I got saved. We started going to Butler Hill Church. And I got saved at nine. And, and Junius and Judy and myself started going and with Mama. And, and we just, uh, it was wonderful. Mama was filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. And we didn't know what that was all about. But when I walked down the aisle at nine, I, I, I just knew that Jesus Christ really and truly saved my soul. He redeemed my life. And... Uh, we serve the Lord. We went from Butler Hill Church to Midway because Carol's dad came down. Carol's dad pastored in Durham, but he went down to Sampson County, held some revivals, and we started going to his church and uh, developed a relationship with him. And, and Midway Church, was it's halfway between Dunn and Clinton. And so we attended there for several years. And then... I moved to uh, to Durham, started work, and Carol Carol and I were more or less like brother and sister when we first met. She was she was a kid. She was nothing but a kid. She was 12, 13 years old. And uh, oh, <laughs> but she was like my sister. So I moved from Clinton. To, to Durham and stayed with her that her family, her dad. I lived with them, worked and lived with them. And, uh, and then we fell in love. And 52 years ago, we got married. Carol's dad was a powerful man of God. He was, he was a uh, prophet. He had a third grade education, the man that started this church. He had a third grade education, and, uh, but he had the power of God in his life. And then in 1969, I was 27 years old. In 1969, he died. Well, I had been working with him, and he had been mentoring me. I'd never gone to, to college. But when he died, the church voted me in full-time pastor. Well, it was during, before I became a pastor and after I became a pastor that Carol and I, we preached a lot of places. I did. I went, I went a lot of places, especially down east. We preached for the Pentecostal Freeway Baptist Church. We preached for the uh, uh, Church of God. We preached, preached for the Pentecostal Holiness Church. And we preached and held revival. And when we held revival, we held, it was either, it, I mean, it was always one week or, or longer. When we held revival, uh, it was uh, about two weeks out of the month. Plus, we pastored the church. And we were married for several years, and we began to want a child, but we didn't have any children. And so we took a, a girl into custody, like adopting a girl, and we raised her. And then after six years, Carol became pregnant with Felicia, and we traveled. We traveled a lot. And church went over at night at 9, 8, and 9 o'clock. It was over at 11 and 12 o'clock. And we traveled from here 90 miles. We'd work every day, travel here. But then we would, when we started pastoring, we, we drove from here about 90 miles to different churches. And we would hold revivals. Our kids were raised in that, in that atmosphere. In fact, our kids slept more in drawers than they did in the uh, crib. I'm, I'm talking about you, you, you empty a drawer and take it out and put a little pad in there, and that's where they slept. Can you imagine waking up and you're in a drawer? You know, yeah. There were no travel beds, no conveniences like we certainly have today. I'm sorry, this mic keeps malfunctioning. So we traveled, and our kids traveled with us. Our church grew. We were out on Austin Avenue Extension beyond Central, and, and we pastored there. The church grew so much, it busted at the seam, and people were coming. People were, they were pushing people in in wheelchairs and chairs, and they were walking out. People were walking in with crutches, and they would walk, I mean, coming in with crutches, and they'd walk out. It was that, that kind of, I was on WTIK. I was on television, uh, 
on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock for 30 minutes. And so I was on television, radio. The church was busting at the scenes. Our kids were, were singing in the church. Our kids were singing on television. And uh, Carol and I, she got saved at 5. I got saved at 9. And I didn't sin. I had the world by the tail. We left Austin Avenue and we built a church on Main Street. We built the church. We built an extension. We built another extension. We built a big fellowship hall in the back and we paid for it as we went. I mean, things. It couldn't have been better. Now, I didn't know I was proud, but I was so proud. I didn't know that I had pride with a capital P. I, I really didn't. My two kids were saved. Neil had come along, and, and he was just a kid, and he got saved early, speaking in tongues. He was speaking in tongues by five or by four. I'd hear other parents talking about their kids been on drugs, and I'd say, oh, mine's not on. Now, I didn't say that. But somewhere deep down inside, I thought to myself, my kids singing in church, singing on television. They were in church every night. They were raised in church. You see, when we got saved, mama got saved, we had tradition. You didn't cut your hair. Every one of you women that have short hair, you would not be saved when we got saved. I want you to know that. Because women did not cut their hair. And they had long dresses. They did not wear pants. They had long hair and long tongue. I mean, yeah, they, they just... <laughs> And so we always thought, didn't wear makeup. Oh, my God. It's like the lady that, the woman that, I mean, the guy that married the beautiful lady that sung at night, and he never saw her except at, at this place she sung, and she was always pretty and had makeup on and hair fixed. And he married her and woke up the next morning and looked over at her and said, Sing, Sonny. Sonny shook, sing. holy and we knew we were holy and we knew we were holier than the Baptist especially the Presbyterian and Methodist and those ungodly Lutherans and, and my God the Catholics was, they were going to hell you know we knew all that so all of a sudden let me let me cut this off and get a get me a mic Denny, and let's get this off I don't know He, his name was, well, let me tell you. He had, he, was a, he had black hair. And he, was, he, got, he would get behind this big, large, sure mic. And he would preach. And then he would pray with people. And people were saved by the thousands. He'd fill up the, uh, the tents. And they were large, large tents. And people were healed. And Oral Roberts started his ministry right here in Durham on Andrew Avenue. But we attended mostly in Fedville. And so us Pentecostal, us holiness, us holier than thou, we went to Oral We loved his ministry. He had a great ministry. We saw him on black and white television, you know. Oral Roberts. We're going to go see Oral Roberts. And there were people that would line up by the hundreds to hear him. And you know what? They were healed. But I saw women with short hair, makeup, earrings that hung down here, 
pants on, shorts on. I knew they weren't going to get healed. And all of a sudden, they get healed. And all of a sudden, I begin to wonder what's going on. And then in the 60s, there was the hippie movement. Now, most of you are too young to know of the hippie movement. It was a blast. They drove around in their Volkswagen buses and peace, brother. They lived together. I mean, they were marching against the Vietnam War and all of this stuff going on. And we thought, my God, these people are going to hell. And we would walk as far away around them as we could. We would have nothing to do with them. I'll tell you who reached out to them was people like Paul Pano at Calvary Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And people like... uh, Chuck Smith, at, also at Calvary Church in, in California. The hippies were being saved by the thousands. And later on, by the way, in the 80s, those hippies genuinely saved. Now, some didn't get saved. Some still shacked up. But many of them were saved. Those hippies became the leaders of those churches. And some of you are old enough to remember the name Honey Tree. It was a woman a girl that sung, and she recorded and made albums by the million. She was part of that. She came out of Paul Pano's church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And when those hippies got to being saved, not only did Oral Roberts pray for those women, but this messed up my mind too. Now you know why my mind's messed up. That's a joke. Don't take it serious. And, and, and all of these things, quit looking at your watch. I'll get finished when I want to. Do you see her look at her watch? That can be catching. I got four minutes. So that blew my mind. Then all of a sudden, people got to get in saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in the Methodist church, the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church, the Catholic church, and they met by the hundreds of thousands. They were called charismatics. That finally did it for my mind. Because I had a tradition, I had a belief that these people not only could not be saved, but they were speaking in tongues. And I had to change my tradition. Does that mean I compromise today? Some of those people could sit around and drink beer and speak in tongues. Does that mean I compromise that? No. Because some of the churches take their members, new members out to the pub and sit around and drink and have fellowship and read the Bible. I don't know how that's done. But I know one thing, God had to get a hold of me and my traditions. And when you've, when you've been that way for a long time, it doesn't get out easy. You kick and scream and fuss at God and ask God what in the world is going on. Because my traditions had taken the place of God's word. I'm not saying totally because we, listen, for you that would listen to me, I would not take anything for Pentecost and the Pentecostal experience because it is real. But I had to change. And I found out anything. Well, let me, let me back up. And I'm I'm trying to hush Carol. You can, you can fuss at me when we get, okay. She's looking at that watch again. Lord, help her. Sanctify her, Lord. Sanctify her. (laughs) I was telling you about Neil and Felicia. They they were saved. One of the worst times of my life, and my son, you know about 
Cornell is, and he, he, he would let me tell this, okay? I went into his bedroom on Talcott Street, and I found drugs. I and my tradition and all the stuff that goes along with it was devastated. I couldn't believe it because I thought it was those kids that got on drugs, not my kids. And I thought deep down inside, if they'd handle things different, perhaps their kids wouldn't be where they are today. And then all of a sudden, things started crumbling. And that perfect home of husband and wife and two children, that ideal world that I had built over the years, and me thinking that I was up here and parents with drugs and alcohol kids were down here. I had to rethink some things. And then my daughter went through and divorces. Listen, I, the Bible hates divorce. But I believed and we were taught that if you were ever married and divorced, that you could never get married again. And uh, I'll back up. My mother stayed separated from my dad for years and then remarried. Boy, did that mess me up. Boy, did it challenge me. Do I believe in divorce and remarriage? No. I, stay, I believe with everything it's in, within me. It's one man for one woman for life. Somebody say Amen. And I looked at people that got divorced and remarried in a different light. And I judged them. I didn't outwardly judge them. Brother Don, you're compromising? Not one bit. But I'm going to tell you, anything, any tradition that you will elevate you to think that you're better than somebody else is wrong. And that list that I gave you or read to you in, 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 Matthew, in, in Mark 7, fornication, all the bad things, you know which one stuck out to me the most? Pride. Brother Don, are you telling me pride's just as bad as fornication, adultery? Mm-hmm. And a lot of Pentecostal people they think they're better than somebody else because they haven't been there. But I hope you don't have to learn a lesson like I had to learn. You might say, well, Brother Don, I'll guarantee you so. so. Listen, don't you do that. I'll bet my kids, don't you do that. If your kids are doing good and right and living right, you better get on your knees and thank God. I'm not going to let him. My kids, are, listen, do I believe in associating with evil and wrong and, and, and all that's going? No, I don't believe in it. But I'll tell you something. We're not going to isolate them from certain things that's going on in this world. But it's when I thought, because my kids... And because Carol was saved at five and filled with the Holy Ghost right after that, and I was saved at nine and filled with the Holy Ghost right after that, and I pastored the church and everything was going fine, I thought, wow. And all of a sudden, the rug was jerked out from under me. Was it because I disobeyed God? Was it because I backslid? What was it? I don't know exactly all, all the ramifications, but I was just as true to God. I served God just as much, but all of these things happened. And all of a sudden, my prideful world, my prideful traditional world came crumbling down, and I had to fall on my knees and find out where I was with God and leave everybody 
everybody else alone. Father, we love you today. This has been hard sometimes. Lord, it'd be easy for me to judge other churches, other pastors. But Lord, one thing you came down on was traditionalism, hypocrisy. And Lord, if, if, even if we're not locked into traditionalism, Lord, we can still, if we're not careful, be filled with pride. God, rip it from us. God, I'd rather humble myself than you humble me. And you've, have, you've made me cry, Uncle, many times. You've humbled me. Lord, I, I don't judge people like I used to. I leave that up to you. Search our hearts here this morning. If there is one ounce of pride, if there's one bit of judgmentalness in us, forgive us. Help us to understand it is from the heart. And unless the heart is right, And any time I feel like I'm better than anybody else, Lord, I want to be like the man that stood in the corner, beat his chest, and wept before you and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not like the Pharisee that stood aloft and said, I'm glad I'm not like this person. I fast once or twice a week. I paid my tithe. I go to church. I speak in tongues. I this, I that, I the other. And I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm glad I'm not like her. I'm glad I'm not like them. God forgive us today. Help us to realize that kind of feeling, that kind of attitude, that kind of spirit is birth in the heart. And as the Pharisees, they were like whited sepulchers. They looked beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they were as dead men's bones. God, forgive me. There's a whole lot of evil in this world today. But help me to let you do the judging. Help me to let my light shine. Help me to be the salt of the earth. And help me to love people.